Hallelujah. Well, for the last couple of uh, weeks, we have been on the series called Reveal, and we're talking about revelation knowledge, the importance of revelation knowledge in the life of every believer. There are a lot of things that we've covered over the last three weeks, and I want to encourage every one of you to make sure that you are listening to those messages over and over and over again, because one of the things that we've learned about revelation knowledge is the foundational steps that you take for revelation knowledge is to hear the word of God over and over and over again. A lot of times we are tempted to get into something new. We're tempted to read things that we have never read before, hear things that we've never heard before. However, revelation knowledge oftentimes does not come by hearing something new, but revelation knowledge comes into our lives by hearing the repeated truths of the Word of God. Amen. All right. See, for example, they, we, 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 like for new, uh, we like to uh, uh, listen to new messages and, and, and read new things. But how many of you know there's not going to be a Bible part two coming out? All right. So you've got to read the same thing over and over again. And so, however, God in his wisdom knew that this is going to be all that you will ever need in your life. How many of you know that? There's no need for part two to come. Why? Because part one has all you need for life and godliness. Amen? And so we understood that revelation knowledge is very important. We also understood how Paul was saved and Paul how, uh, not only saved, but the instruction given to Paul after he got saved was that he would preach the gospel and that he would heal the sick, that he would declare the blessing of the Lord upon people, not just for the sake of preaching, but so that their eyes will be open. All right, because God knew that once the eyes are open, they will know the inheritance that they have in Christ Jesus. And last week, again, we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about a lot of things, but just for time, I'm not going to get into all of that. But one of the main important things that we talked about last week is about being persuaded beyond doubt. All right. Being persuaded beyond doubt. There are a lot of things that we know based on our natural understanding, based on knowledge that we uh, um, get from reading the word of God, listening to messages, hearing the stories of the Bible and all of these things. There's knowledge that we have. But however, there's a difference of just having mere knowledge or natural knowledge or natural understanding. And from there, getting to a place where you are persuaded, which means you are convinced beyond doubt, where you are convinced and where you're persuaded beyond the natural uh, uh, circumstances and the environment that you are uh, in at that present moment, being persuaded beyond doubt. Now, one of the things that I talked about, about uh, uh, when it comes to being persuaded beyond doubt is one of the examples that I gave is about being persuaded that God is good. Everyone say God is good. Now, when we talk about the fact that God is good, many believers will nod their head and many believers will believe that God is good. However, when bad things happen in their life, when tragedy strikes and different things happen, people still have questions about why did God do this to me? And they still believe that this God that is supposed to be good has done all of these evil things in their life. And I get this question repeatedly asked over and over again. And very recently, I was asked about this question. So uh, I thought I'll take some time to answer this question today about the question about what about Job, Pastor? What about Job? Right? How many of you know Job from the Bible? All right. Now, 
Every single time I talk about the goodness of God, I talk about the faithfulness of God, I talk about the fact that God is good and that is all that he is. Every time I say that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, somebody will automatically have this question. But Job. And therefore God is not always good, right? Now, so today, this is not my main message, but this is free stuff for everyone. I wanted to make sure that I tackle this question about what about Job? What about Job? Go with me to the book of Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Many of you know the story of Job. I'll give you a quick, very quick, brief uh, uh, um, um, idea about the life of Job. Job was a very wealthy man, a man who feared God, a man who worshipped the true living God. And as he was doing so, he had children. And we know that after doing all of this, that he goes through tremendous tragedies in his life. I mean, uh, 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 the, the family members are dying. All the wealth that he has is gone. And, and he is struck with sickness and disease and 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 chaos is breaking out in every single area of his life. I mean, literally nothing is going right. And then yet at the same time, we as believers know that in the life of Job, towards the end of his life, that all is returned back to him. That all is returned back to him, not just to the state that he was before, but twice that much is returned back to Job. Now, when people read the story of Job or when people go through the, uh, the book of Job, people often come out uh, uh, with the understanding that, you know, God sometimes decides to make us go through these horrible situations in our lives. And so God gives certain things and he takes away certain things and whatever God wills, it will just happen. If God wants somebody in your family to die and, you know, uh, too bad, it's, it's his decision and there's nothing else that we can do. Or God wants to destroy your business. Well, you know, he's a good God, but, you know, I don't know what's going on in his mind today. Maybe he's having a bad day and he made a bad decision today. So my business is destroyed. And we often have this kind of mentality and this kind of mindset, which, which causes us to say God is good, but not really be persuaded beyond doubt that God is really good. Does that make sense? All right. So Job chapter 42, I want you to jump down to verse, um, let's go to verse 10, verse 10. And it says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Remember, I said Job was already one of the wealthiest men, uh, men of his time. And now he's been given twice that much. All right. Then it says, then all his brothers and all the sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each one a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He, and he called the name of the first uh, Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, um, and the name of the third Keren Hepuk. In all the land where uh, were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Again, when we read this, we say, well, 
One day God decided to put him through a lot of tests and he went through tests. But one day just God decided that I'm going to restore everything back to Job. Not only give him to the, get him to the place where he was before, I'm going to give him twice that amount. And God decided and it just happened. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Amen. And that's the idea that all of us have. But the question is, why? The question is, why did Job get back to this position? Why were things restored twice as much? Why did Job again have all the wealth that he lost? Why did Job again have the children that he had and beautiful children and have a, a long life where he saw up to the fourth generation? Why did this happen? Well, go with me to verse 1. Job 42, verse 1. It says, then Job answered the Lord. Now, why is he answering the Lord? Because through verses, through chapter 41, God has a very, very long question to ask Job. The entire chapter 41 is God just asking one thing after another, after another, after another. In, verse, in chapter 42, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know, what you can, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have, look at what he says. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. See, many of us have read this verse, or you've heard other people quote this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we have read that, and we've read that from the Bible. Right? And because we've read that from the Bible, we think that's the nature and the character of God. That the Lord gives when he wants to and the Lord takes when he wants to. However, that is not the nature and character of God. You know why it's not the nature and character of God? Because that is something that Job said without understanding. When Job was at one of his lowest points of his life, he said, God gives and God takes away. But the good thing is he at least had the, 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 uh, uh, um, the, the ability to discern and say, blessed be the name of the Lord, even in the midst of that. Now, that's a very good thing to do. However, he did not have proper understanding about God's character. And therefore, he now says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. He is now repenting and he's saying, oh. I'm sorry. I've said things I should not have said. I said things without the proper understanding. Look at uh, verse 4. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. Now look at what he says. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. But now what's happening? But now... My eye sees you. What are we talking about with revelation knowledge? The opening of the eyes. What is Job saying here? What Job is saying is, I know I went through hell. I know I went through all the chaos that I went through in my life. But up to this point, I have only known you by the hearing of the ear. Which means I knew you to a certain level. I knew you to a certain degree. And based on what I knew, I said things based on that. 
But now he says, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. What is he saying? He is saying the things that I have said, God, I have said without proper understanding. But now, now that you have begun speaking to me, most of the book of Job is just Job's ramblings. And then you come towards the end of the book of Job, and now it is God's turn to speak. And God had finally enough of hearing, and God tells Job to shut up. And then Job is no longer the one questioning God, but now God begins to question Job. And once God finishes questioning Job, Job says, I repent. I spoke without proper understanding. And now here he says, I only heard certain things, but now I see you. Now, once he saw God for who he is, once the eyes were opened, things changed in his life. Once the eyes were opened, all that he had was returned and more than he had was returned to him. Are you understanding that? See, when you are rooted and grounded in truths of the word of God, that God is good. A simple thing like when Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If it is the word of Jesus, learn to take it wholesale. Learn to take it with all of your heart. See, don't try to take that and take some verse that you don't even understand. Take some chapter that you don't even understand. Take a book that you don't even understand and said, yeah, God, Jesus said that, but then, then what about this? What about that? What? No, say, Jesus, because you said this, help me understand what's happening here. And if you go with that intent, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Are you understanding that? Amen? So I hope that... The, uh, um, that helps some of you and, and that your eyes are open to that. Amen. All right. Go with me to the book of uh, Ephesians chapter one, please. At this time, Ephesians chapter one. All right. Very quickly. Ephesians chapter one and starting at verse 15. Ephesians chapter one and verse 15. It says, therefore, I have, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of of his mighty power. Now, this has been a foundational scripture for us in this particular series because this is where the Apostle Paul is praying for his people. And then when he's praying for the people, he's praying specifically for revelation knowledge. And he's praying, he says that he prays this prayer over his people every single day. Day. That means this is a daily prayer, a daily occurrence that happens in his life. Look at what it says in verse 18. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Everyone say that you may know. Now, when he says that you may know, he's talking about knowing in two ways. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, experientially. That you may know experientially. And number two, Progressively. Progressively. 
experientially and progressively. That means there are things as you read the word of God, as you meditate on the word of God, as you hear the word of God, experientially you will know certain things about God. Experientially, you will know that God is a healer. Why? Because you experience healing in your body. You know, you will know experientially that God is a provider. Why? Because He provided a job for you. He provided supernatural money when when things were tight in your life. You will know experientially that God is wisdom. Why? Because you did not know what kind of decision to make. You prayed, and the wisdom of God became available. And you will know experientially. But then you will also know progressively, meaning there's a, there's a level of understanding that you have that God is your healer, that God is your provider, that God is your wisdom. However, how many of you know that we don't know God as a healer in totality yet? We don't know God as a provider in totality yet. We don't know God as wisdom in totality yet. So progressively, we are growing. Progressively, we continue to grow in our understanding. So Paul says, I am praying that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will know experientially and progressively. Know what? Three things that he talks about here. Number one, the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Number two, the inheritance in the saints. The inheritance in the saints. And number three, his power. His power. Number one, the hope of his calling. Number two, inheritance in the saints. And number three, his power. So Paul is praying to the church for, or for the church of Ephesus and he's saying, I am praying that you will know experientially and that you will know progressively. What do you want them to know, Paul? Do you want them to know that they can be healed? Do you want them to know that they can get a job? Do you want them to know that they can get, a ma- that they can get married or that they can have a visa or that they can have a successful business? Paul says, no, none of those things. What I really want them to know is this. I want them to know the hope of his calling. Meaning, Paul is saying, I want everyone to know that they're called of God. I want everyone to know, irrespective of their background, whatever religious affiliation that they might have been uh, belonging to, whatever family that they were born in, whatever language they speak, color of their skin, I want everyone to know that there is a calling upon their life by God. And he says, I want their eyes to be open so that they will know the hope of their calling. The hope of his calling, meaning you don't have to be afraid of God's calling upon your life. I'll say that again. You don't have to be afraid of God's calling upon your life. See, too many people, the devil has convinced us that if you say yes to God's calling, that he will force you to do something that you don't like. And that's why so many people are afraid to saying yes to God. But here he say, he doesn't say the fear of his calling. He says the, come on everybody. He says the hope of his calling. He says, I want them to know the hope of your calling. He says, number two, the inheritance in the saints. That means he wants us to know the inheritance that we've gotten by Jesus Christ. What is the shared inheritance that we have? He's saying, just like if, if you, when the time comes when you are supposed to receive an inheritance for your, from your parents, you want to know what is being given to you. What belongs to you and what does not belong to you. In the same way, what Paul is saying is, I want you to be aware of the inheritance that came to you by Jesus Christ. Now, the reality is this. Many Christians don't know the inheritance that they have. 
Many Christians have no idea that there is an inheritance given to them. Most Christians have no idea that the word inheritance is even in the Bible when it comes to their relationship with God. And however, what Paul is saying is, I want their eyes to be open so that they will know experientially and progressively the inheritance that they have. The inheritance that they share with the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And number three, he says, I want them to know his power. To know his power. But pastor, what does all of this do if I don't get a job? What does all of this do if I can't get married? What does all of this, how does all of this help me if I cannot have a successful business? I'll tell you how it's going to be helpful. Because when you know the hope of his calling, you will know that irrespective of what happens in your life, that you are called by God. That God chose you, number one. Number two, he says, not only the hope of his calling, but the inheritance in the saints, which means no matter where you were born, no matter the language you speak, no matter the background that you have, when you know the inheritance that you have in God, that inheritance will help you walk into the life that God has destined for you. See, only when you know the inheritance will you know how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to behave in life. But if you don't know your inheritance, there's the, the, the famous uh, story that comes out of uh, England where the, the, uh, there was a woman that, that, cared, uh, of, um, that, that served the royal family all the days of her life. And towards the end of her, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, at the retirement age, there was an inheritance that was left to this woman from the royal family. However, she never paid attention to what was written in the letter that was given to her. And so she continued to live her life in a small, one-room, tiny apartment. Well, the inheritance said that she could stay in the royal family's residence and would be taken care of for the rest of her life by the staff in the, that belonged to the royal family. However, she did not experience any of it. Why? Because she was ignorant of the inheritance. Ignorant of the inheritance. And so what happens is, when you're ignorant of the inheritance, what do you do? She went back to thinking about, okay, how can I just get a meal for right now? How can I just get to the hospital right now? How can I just pay for the medical bills right now? You are so occupied by what you need in the present moment. Why? Because you lost sight of the inheritance. But if you have sight of the inheritance, way, even when you have a business loss, you will, your world will not crumble. Why? Because you know the inheritance that you have. You know it can re be, be rebuilt. You know that things will turn out for your good. Why? Because of the inheritance that you have. And number three, he said his power. Verse 19 says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, if you've got the power of God towards you, which means for you, available to you. Why do you need to seek out healing separately when you know the power of God is available for you? It's available for you. When you know that the power of God is available for you, you don't have to seek out for healing separately. Why? Because your eyes are open to the power of God. What happened with the woman with the issue of blood? Her eyes were open to the power of God and she said, I, I don't need an appointment. I don't need a one-on-one -on -one meeting with him. I don't need a separate meeting where nobody knows the problems I have and nobody sees what's going on and I just need 15 minutes with Jesus and, 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 and in that meeting, I will tell all my problems. No, no, no. She said, I, no, no, no. I don't even need to go through that. 
I don't need to go through that. Why? Because her eyes were open and she said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Why? Because I know there's power that comes out of him if I go in faith. And so here he says, Paul is saying that you will know his power, his power towards you, his power for you that has been made available for you. He says, that's what I'm praying for you every single day. Go to uh, Colossians chapter 1 very quickly. Colossians chapter 1. He prays the, a similar prayer in uh, verse 9 through 11. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Say spiritual understanding. Now understand, he's not saying natural understanding. Why? Because natural understanding you already have. So what he's praying for is spiritual understanding. He says that you may walk worthy. Why do you want us to have this spiritual understanding, Paul? All right? Number one, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Number two, that you will be fruitful in every good work. Number three, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Number four, he says, strengthened with all might. Number five, patience. Number six, long-suffering. And number seven, joy. Look at the things that he lists out there. He says, I want you to have spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering and with joy. Now, in this scenario, everything, he's praying these things for these seven reasons. And all of these seven reasons have to do with your daily conduct in life. Have to do with your daily conduct in life. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we, we've talked about spiritual knowledge. We've talked about revelation knowledge. But today, I want to make it very practical for every one of you. I want you to understand that these are not just lofty things, spiritual things that we talk about Sunday and forget about Monday. These, I want you to understand that Paul is praying this because he knows that once you get this, everything else in life will be taken care of. In Ephesians, we see from a spiritual understanding and a spiritual perspective, from the root issues of life, how you receiving the hope of his calling, the inheritance of his saints, and the power working towards you will change everything in life. In Colossians, he gives you other reasons for why this is very important. And now he's giving you reasons that, are, that have to do with the natural life, the everyday course of life. It has to do with the conduct of life, how you live out your everyday life. And he says, if you have wisdom and revelation knowledge in your life, he says, all of these things will happen in your life. See, when you're going through tough times, and when you are getting impatient about certain things, and when there is no joy, he says, what you need is revelation knowledge. Well, Pastor, I'm really sad. What you need is revelation knowledge. I'm depressed. What you need is revelation knowledge. I'm getting impatient. What you need is revelation knowledge. What you need is spiritual understanding. Why? Because Paul says, if you've got this, all of these things will be a part of your life. I mean, think about this. How will your life change if you stop getting impatient regarding the things 
that you're dealing with in your life? How will your life change if you have a true revelation of joy? How will your life change if you have a true revelation of long-suffering? If you have a true revelation of, 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 of patience in your life, how would life change? It would change drastically. It would change dramatically in your life. Now, with all of these things being said, I've come up with a list of five areas that I believe every believer should have revelation knowledge in. Right? Five areas. And I'm going to talk about this for the next few minutes and we'll be done today. But five areas that every believer should have revelation knowledge in. All right? Number one, the gift of the new creation. The gift of new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The gift of new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and starting from verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everyone say new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. How many things? Come on, how many things? Now all things are of God. We've read this verse, many people know this verse, but however, for a lot of people, this verse simply means, or their natural understanding says, this simply means I joined a new religion. That's what the natural understanding will say. I did not believe in Jesus, now I believed in Jesus, therefore I joined a new religion. So that you'll read this verse and you'll just have the natural understanding, I joined a new group of people. That's the extent to which most people think about this. Or they'll have this understanding that up to now, all the sins that I've committed up to now, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. Why? Because I've asked, I've repented and Jesus forgave my sins. All the sins that I've committed so far in my life, they are forgiven. However, I believe every believer should move from simply having a natural understanding of joining a new religion or that the sins so far have been forgiven to a spiritual understanding that he or she is a new creation, a new person. You've got to move from simply thinking, I joined a new religion, to getting to the spiritual understanding. The natural understanding will say you joined a new religion. Natural understanding will say your sins up to this point have been forgiven. It's the spiritual understanding. It's revelation knowledge that will get you to the point that makes you understand that it is not just about you joining a new religion. It is about you becoming a new person. This is not the old man joining a new, uh, a, a new club. It's not about you going and joining a new gang. This is about a new person. We're no longer talking about the old person. They're two different identities. And you've got to get to the place where you separate those two people. You no longer identify with the old man. Because, see, if you keep identifying, as long as you simply have a natural understanding, you will still keep identifying with the old man. You'll still keep identifying yourself as, oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, I did this. Or, or somebody else did this to me. Oh, I was abused and I abused someone else. Or they cheated on me and I cheated on someone else. Or, uh, you know, I caused a business loss or they caused a business loss to me. And they mistreated me or I mistreated them. And you go back towards the old person, the old man. 
However, what the scripture says is you are no longer the old man. For anyone who is in Christ, he says he is a new creation. Not an updated creation. See, natural understanding will stop you from thinking that you are new to thinking that you're updated. And many of us, even though we read that verse, we think that way. And so therefore, what happens, and this is one of the reasons why many of us are Christians are ashamed of their testimony. We're ashamed of the testimony. We, we, we don't want to share what God has done or what God has delivered us out of what? Oh, uh, pastor, if they know what happened to my life, if they knew uh, what I did, if they know the things that I was addicted to, then, you know, people will think less of me. You're not talking about yourself. You're not talking about yourself. See, you've got to understand you are telling the story of someone else. You're not talking about yourself anymore. Are you understanding that? Why? Because you are a new. You're not updated. You are a new creation. There's no, the, the, the old person has nothing to do with the new one. There's absolutely nothing to do with it. See, this is the reason why uh, um, the apostle Paul would say, I have wronged no man. How can a man who killed people, murdered people, have done all of these things, how can he stand in front of people and say, I have wronged no man? The only reason he can say he has wronged no man is because he knows that I no longer identify with the murderer. That he is dead and gone. For Paul, he's thinking, that's not me. I am who God has made me to be. I am who God says I am, and God doesn't call me a murderer. And if God doesn't call me a murderer, I don't identify myself as a murderer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, all things are of God. Actually, in verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16, if you can have that on the screen, I don't have it in my notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. Yeah, he says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the... What did Paul mean by that? Why is Paul saying we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh? Because... He knows that somebody who places their faith in Christ Jesus, he has become a new creation, a new person, but not on the outside, but on the inside, the spirit man. And he says, I no longer relate to people based on the flesh. Why? Because if I relate to people based on the flesh, I relate to them based on the old man. But now that they are a new creation, I will relate to them based on the new creation, new identity that has been given to them by Jesus. So number one, you've got to have revelation knowledge about who you are as a new creation. Number two, the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. Second Corinthians, same chapter, verse 21. 
2 Corinthians 5 and 21. He says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The sad reality is for many people, this verse doesn't mean much. Because they don't even understand what it just said. It doesn't mean much. Just a religious scripture that's in the Bible and we just read through it and we just pass on by. A believer, again, should move from the natural understanding of being temporarily righteous. You should move from having a natural understanding of being temporarily righteous to a spiritual understanding of being given the eternal gift of righteousness. The eternal gift of righteousness. Not a temporary righteousness. A natural understanding will say, what is righteousness, by the way? Righteousness is simply you having a right relationship or right standing with God. That means you can go into the presence of God without shame, guilt, or fear, or any of those things. You can run into the presence of God. You can stand boldly in his presence. You can talk to God. That's righteousness. That's right standing. That means you have confidence in who God is. You have confidence in going before God. Now, the Bible here says that, 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 that we are the righteousness of God or that we have been made the righteousness of God. Now, when we read that natural understanding, we'll say, sure, we are the righteousness of God because our sins, I just asked for forgiveness and my sins have been forgiven. And because my sins are forgiven, I can go boldly before God. And that's the natural understanding. However, the spiritual understanding will say it is no longer a temporary righteousness, but, it, but an eternal gift of righteousness. An eternal gift of righteousness, which means, see, only when you have that revelation knowledge that it is an eternal gift of righteousness, will you, on the worst day of your life, even when you've made the worst mistake, will bounce back and say, I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. Why? Because your identity, decided by God, made you a new creation. And when he made you a new creation, he also gave you the gift of righteousness. The gift of having a right standing with God, irrespective of your actions. Irrespective of your actions. Look at what it says in the Amplified Version. He says, verse 21, for, for our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him, we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. That we ought, uh, ought to be approved and acceptable in right relationship with God by his goodness. By whose goodness? Not by our works. Not by our works. It is the gift. What do you do with the gift? You receive. You don't try to earn a gift. You receive a gift with a thankful heart. When somebody gives you a gift, you don't say, how much did it cost? I'll pay you for it. No, you say, thank you. And you take it. You don't. It's an insult to say, let me pay for the gift. It's an insult to the giver. However, the giver will love it when you receive it with a thankful heart. And the righteousness is not something we earn. It is something that is given. It is the gift of righteousness. 
See, until you have revelation knowledge of this, you will always go back to thinking, oh, I, I, I did something wrong this week and therefore I'm no longer righteous. I did something wrong this week, therefore I cannot speak to God. I did something wrong this week, therefore I cannot come to church. I did something wrong. And, and, and this is one of the reasons why people stay away from church. They think, oh, oh pastor, once I, uh, you know, once I start living right, I'll come to church. Once I stop hanging out with this group of people, I'll come to church. Once I stop putting the alcohol away, I'll come to church. Once I start putting the cigarettes away, the weed away, I'll come to church. Once I stop doing drugs, I'll come to church. No, no, no. That's not how you do it. Come to church while you're doing drugs. Come to church while you're smoking. Come to church while you're stuck on alcohol. Come to church while you're addicted. Why? Not because we're trying to encourage you to be addicted to those things. Come to church while you're going through those things because once you come, here is the place of deliverance for you. See, Jesus never looked at the people with leprosy and the unclean people. He did not look at the woman with the issue of blood and say, he did not say, why did you not clean yourself before you showed up? He never asked the question, why? Because the cleaning up takes place through Jesus. If you could clean up yourself without Jesus, you don't need Jesus. If you can get rid of your addictions without Jesus, you don't need Jesus. No point of coming to church. No point of reading the Bible. No point of praying. Why? Because you can do it all on your own. You're the hero of the story. And if you're the hero of the story, you don't, the hero doesn't go looking for the hero. But we say we're, we're incapable of doing these things on our own, and therefore we need a Savior. And therefore we look for a Savior, and therefore Jesus comes as the Savior of the world. And so we now have to have the understanding that you are not temporarily righteous, you are forever righteous. Forever righteous. Forever righteous. And the more you have revelation knowledge of that, the more addictions will be broken off your life. The more you have a revelation of that, the more bondages will be broken off your life. The more you know that you are the righteousness of God. See, you don't become more righteous by stopping bad things. You don't become more righteous by stopping bad habits. You stop bad habits, you break addictions, you break cycles in your life and generational things in your life by knowing you are the righteousness of God. Are you understanding that? All right. Number three. Number three. Oh, oh sorry. Let me, let me go through this one more time. Second Corinthians chapter five and, um, Go back to verse 18, because I want to make sure we, we hit this properly. Verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Now, for those of you who have this question, look, Pastor, how can you say that I'm forever righteous? How can you say that I'm forever having a right standing with God? Pastor, I know what I did this week. I know what I did last month. I know what I did last year. How can I have, when I did all of these wrong things, how can I be the righteousness of God? This is how you can be the righteousness of God. The way you can be the righteousness of God is verse 18. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Now, what does reconciliation mean? Like if you and your friend have a big fight, you and somebody else in your life have a big fight. That means there's, there's, there's separation 
And now, reconciliation, what does that look like? That means whatever separated us cannot separate us anymore. Now we are back together. That's a reconciliation, right? He says, sin separated us from God, and therefore we were not righteous, therefore we did not have a right standing with God. But now he says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. That means there is no longer a division or a gap between us. We are now back together with the Father. Are you understanding that? So now we are united with him through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now that part, not imputing their trespasses to them. How are you and I the righteousness of God? You and I are the righteousness of God irrespective of our works because he is no longer imputing our sins against us. We are not righteous because we stopped sinning. We are righteous because he stopped imputing. Are you understanding that? So even if it's like if uh, if you uh, pass the speeding uh, limit, and if you're going faster than what the, 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 um, um, the, the, the signpost said is the speed limit, if the cops, if the government no longer is charging you against breaking the law, then you've not, there's nothing to, for you to pay. You don't have to pay a fine. Why? Because the government is not charging a fine against you. God here is saying, I've reconciled you back to myself. I no longer impute your sins against you. And if therefore, if the sins are not imputed against us, we are forever the righteousness of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Let's go to number um, three. All right. Because of time, I'll skip through one and then we'll, I'll pick up on this next week. But let's talk about the gift of the new covenant. The gift of the new covenant. The gift of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31. These are things I believe every believer should have a revelation knowledge of. If you, and by that I don't mean that we know everything there is to know about it. I'm saying that you've got to have revelation and progress in these things. You've got to know your identity or, or th- that you are a new creation. If, if you don't know that, I don't even know how you can live the Christian life the way you're supposed to. I, I I have no answer for that. I don't know how you can do that. If you don't have revelation knowledge of your identity as a new creation, I have no idea how you can live a successful, victorious, uh, God-fearing, God-exalting, God-honoring life if you don't have revelation knowledge of the fact that you are the righteousness of God. If you don't have the fact that you are the righteousness of God, I mean, absolutely established in your heart, I mean, the devil can play all kinds of tricks on you. The devil can play all kinds of mind games on you. And you'll be wasting time fighting the devil when you should be using that time to continue to live the life of faith. Are you understanding that? All right. Now, uh, number three, the gift of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, every one of us know that in the Bible, there's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, why do we need to have a revelation of the New Covenant or the New Testament? Jeremiah 31, verse 31. 
It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. That means this is, he is talking about our day. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. New covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though uh, uh, I was a husband to them, uh, uh, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will pour, uh, sorry, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every uh, man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. I will forgive them of their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, a believer should move from the natural understanding that the new covenant or the new testament is simply a continuation of the Old Testament. To a spiritual understanding that the new covenant is an entirely new agreement with God is an entirely new agreement with God. It is not a continuation of the old. It is not an update on the old. It is an entirely new agreement with God. And in this agreement, this is an agreement that was not there previously. That's what makes it new. I know it sounds simple and I sound, you know, almost very uh, 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 basic in those statements, but I, I really want you to get that. It's a new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 says this, 8 and verse 6 says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. A far better covenant with God. What covenant is he talking about? The new covenant. A far better covenant with God based on better promises. See, we can no longer live like both covenants have to, sorry, we can no longer live in both covenants, but have to move to the new covenant. A believer can no longer live under new covenants, uh, under two covenants. A believer has to move into the new covenant. Now, what does that look like? Practically speaking, what does that look like? That looks like you living your Christian life from a place of rest. From a place of rest. Not from a place of striving. Not from a place of trying to become something. Not from a place of trying to achieve something. Not from a place of trying to do something more to gain the favor of God. But once you start having revelation knowledge of the new covenant, you understand, I now live from a place of rest. I now live based on the grace of God for my life. This opens your eyes to the things that God has already 
done for you. A person that has truly has the revelation knowledge of the new covenant no longer asks God for things that he does not have. A person who truly has a revelation knowledge of the new covenant begins to live their life, begins to pray, knowing that all they need has been given. All the work that needs to be done was accomplished by Jesus. See, again, many Christians don't do this. Many Christians don't have the knowledge of this. Many Christians keep going, jumping back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. Where? Between the old and the new, the old and the new, the old and the new. And I'm saying that it is very important. It is vital for you to have revelation knowledge of the new covenant. Because when you have revelation knowledge of the new covenant, scriptures that you used to read before, now all of a sudden your eyes are open and you've read 2 Peter 1.3 a lot of times. But now when you read 2 Peter 1.3, you, you will understand that all things pertaining to life and godliness have been given to you and given to me by Christ Jesus. Now if all things have been given, I don't need to strive. See, if all the groceries are in the house, I don't need to go grocery shop. Are you understanding this? See, but it has to go off on you. The lights have to turn on. The eyes have to be open. The heart has to perceive that. You've got to be persuaded beyond doubt. Persuaded beyond the natural circumstances. Now, again, it's good when a lot of good things are happening in life. But to be really honest, I'm more interested in how you handle the not-so-good things in life. It's good when all the prayers seem to be answered and the job comes, the doors open, the relationships are working out well, all of these things. What happens when things don't go well? And I'm saying these areas, you absolutely need revelation knowledge in these areas. You absolutely, you, you, you cannot afford to live your Christian life without having revelation knowledge in these areas. You absolutely cannot. You cannot. Because if you continue to live your life without revelation knowledge in these three areas, you will live a very mediocre Christian life. A mediocre Christian life. You will not really experience and progressively grow in the knowledge of God. So I'm inviting every single one of you to not just make this about a four-week series or a five-week series, but make it a lifelong pursuit that you will be committed to growing in the wisdom and revelation knowledge that comes from God. All the days of your life, be committed to the process. Be committed to making sure that you're getting the deposit of the Word of God into your heart on a daily basis, on a daily basis. Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God constantly, continuously. Let it keep flowing. Let it keep flowing. Let it keep flowing. Let it keep flowing. 
through the eye gate, through the ear gate, through the mouth gate. Let it keep flowing into your heart, into your heart, into your heart. How long, Pastor? Till it overflows. Till it overflows. Till it overflows. Now, if you want to just write down the notes, you can write down number four. You need to have revelation knowledge in the gift of authority. The gift of authority that has been given to us by Christ Jesus. And number five, you need to have revelation knowledge about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm going to spend majority of the time talking about this. The gift of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm mentioning it at the last, but it is by no means the least of the points. In fact, it's the most important. It's the most important. Because the Bible says that He's the one who will lead you into all truth. He's the one who will bring revelation knowledge to you like never before. So understand this. This is something that you've got to be praying for every day of your life. For those of you who, if you have not yet gotten the, uh, we've made a screensaver, I believe in the beginning of the series, maybe two or three weeks ago. If you do not have it available, just uh, reach out to one of the servant leaders at the end of the uh, um, a service and they will make sure you get it. It's a nice screensaver for your phone, somewhere that you can print out and put it somewhere. Pray this prayer over your life on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Don't stop once the, ser- uh, uh, once the series is done. Continue it all the days of your life. Commit to growing in the revelation knowledge of God. Amen.